We are in week two of the original pyramid scheme. If this is your first time, uh, you're like, I knew it. I knew that there were a pyramid scheme. I knew the church. What well, you know, you you you're automatically playing that in your head. Uh, just just stick with me. Don't run out of the room. Um, so when it comes to the pyramid, I feel like there are things that God designed humans to do. Right? How we operate together. How we gather together. But unfortunately, there's humans who have abused what God has created. They've taken the design and they've reverse-engineered it for their own gain. So what you just saw and what you probably have experienced in your life uh, when somebody comes up to you and they convince you that this product will work, there's no testing to prove it, but it will work. Look at these pictures, right? There is this picture and this picture. It looks like two different people, you know, that kind, of, that kind of thing. Or if you take this oil, when your kids fuss, it'll calm them down. It'll turn them, it'll make them smarter. They'll read quicker, all right? Or it'll cure cancer. You know, all these crazy things, right? And you end up in this pyramid scheme. And usually what you find out is it's mainly to support the person who originated it, Right? They've done it, they've reverse engineered the power of what people coming together. It's about the top down rather than the bottom up, right? So because of that, because people abuse it, we find ourselves not trusting, with good reason, not trusting what God has designed for humans to be and do and work together, right? So we have to, and one of the things that we, we can do to help that is ask questions, and if something doesn't smell right, chances are it's bad, okay? It's, it's not good, right? It's not, it doesn't hold up to what it's supposed to be. Because when it comes to pyramids, and I was really tempted to do this, but I didn't know if anybody's back could actually handle me. Uh, I was going to make a human pyramid up here, right? I was going to have some people come up, and you get to watch us struggle. I, I don't know. I might do it next week. We'll see. Uh, but uh, when it comes to human, if you've ever... Chances are, your child, you've done this. If you've been a cheerleader or something, right, you've, you've done this, a, a team-building exercise, whatever it may be, you know, along with everybody else, you put the bigger, stronger people on the bottom, right? Because for a human pyramid to work, you have to have your strongest on the bottom. Your foundation has to be strong. Because not just literally strong, but they also have to be confident, because I've, I've, this has happened to me. I've seen it happen. They'll be there. They'll be strong. And then they have a moment of self-doubt, like maybe I can't hold them up, and they'll buckle a little bit. And when they buckle a little bit, the whole pyramid leans and hopefully doesn't fall over, and it does. You end up with spraying ankles and twisted arms, and parents are called, and all, all of that kind of stuff. But a pyramid cannot work without a strong foundation. That's why all these, what you know to be pyramid schemes, never pan out because it doesn't have a strong foundation. It's not built on something real. It's only built on marketing. It's only built on things that they just, just trust me and try it. And now you're locked in and you have all these things you have to sell. Otherwise, you're out money, right? That's the way it usually works. And that's what we're used to. But the apostles for the church and what God designed and how we should build they were the originators of what I believe the church is, the human pyramid. And, uh, and you, can't, you can't have a solid foundation, a church, without a, without a strong foundation. That's why it was so important for the apostles to walk with Jesus, to see it all, to not only know that God is God and that Jesus can perform miracles, but to see them happen because it strengthened their faith and made them the strong foundation we needed 
as a faith community as the church was being kicked off and being started. So for, for us, um, if that's what the design is, what does the pyramid look like for us? Or how do we fundamentally define it? What does it look like? This is what it looks like. It's leading people to become fully devoted followers of Christ. Fully devoted followers of Christ. Not just Christians, not just a, a social tag or a, a loose identity, because there's a lot of people out there that call themselves Christians, and I could say, are you sure? Because I there's a book, and there's rules, and there's things, right? There's ways to go, and you're not doing any of those things, okay? You're, you're not emulating or mimicking in any way, so I could argue that maybe you're not, right? But people use it because it's become a social thing, a social construct in hopes to gain people's trust. Politicians use it all the time, but I'm willing to argue a lot of politicians are not as Christian as they claim to be just by their actions. You could just go back and film and see, well, they said this, and now they say this, and it seems like they're just doing whatever you want to hear, so you'll keep voting for them, right? They'll use the title to gain your trust in hopes to building themselves up at the top of the pyramid. Um, but when we you know, when we're designed right and we're doing the right thing and we're leading people to become fully devoted followers of Christ, not just Christians, and that's why I want to specify this, followers of Christ. This is what it ends up looking like, what we find in the early church in Acts. They kind of, they describe what this looks like, Acts 2, 44 uh, through 47. And it says, and all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. So if this is what the origination looks like, the original pyramid that God was wanting us to build, to strengthen one another, um, this, this shows us that God wants us to be united. He wants us to be connected because literally through all of this, it said together, shared, shared again, together again, shared. And then it sums it up with all the people. And when I say all the people, that also means the difficult people. That means the people that you have nothing in common with, or they smell a little weird, okay, and they're hard to be around, or they always want to talk about that one thing that I know nothing about, right? Those people, the awkward people, the people that are hard, those are included in all, not just the people that make you feel comfortable and good about yourself, right? But Satan wants us divided. And again, we could, I could talk about this for months. It, there's a whole theology to it. It's a big thing. I'd love to unpack it with you in, in a, a different setting than, than this morning. Um, but basically, the reason Satan wants to divide us is because he hates God. He's jealous of God. And so when you're jealous of something and you want to hurt, because he can't hurt God, he's God. And so what is he going to do? He's going to hurt the ones he can hurt that will hurt God. So he comes after us and tries to divide us with sin and deception and all that, divide us from God in hopes to hurt God, the ones that he loves, okay? So fast forward, right? 
if that's where the church was looking like then, what does the church look like now? If I was writing scripture, again, I don't think myself as highly as the apostles. This is just, just roll with me in this, okay? If I was writing scripture and we find, fast forward today, like if I had to define where the general big C church is at, this would be Bill 2, 44 through 47, right? In the LGRV uh, version of the Bible, that would be the let's get real version, okay? That's, that would be my version of the Bible. And it would read something like this. Most believers were divided, splitting groups and renaming the way under new pseudonyms. They didn't have much of anything in common, hoarding their possessions and goods, and they kept as much as they could for themselves. Every now and then, if, if it wasn't football season or they weren't too tired, they would come to church for an hour and leave early to beat the traffic. They loved Jesus when it was convenient for them, yet they were despised by people for their hypocrisy. And very few people got saved. If we were honest with each other, I would say this is the consensus of the church today, unfortunately. This is just the truth. This is the, let's get real and call a spade a spade, right? Call, call it what it is. Because uh, unfortunately, and I even hate to say this, the words, it makes me want to vomit that when it comes out of my mouth. Unfortunately, Jesus is not enough anymore for us. It's not, he's not enough. We're having to like add things on top and, and try to make it look prettier or hide the, the scary parts, you know, and only give the good the things that people want to hear that make them feel, you know, we, we do all of these things. We layer on top of Jesus in hope making it attractive enough that they would come in. That is manipulation and that is tri- that's tricking people. Because unfortunately, again, Jesus doesn't seem to be enough for us anymore. We've diluted and discounted the power of Christ. We've relegated his work down to a charm that we hang around our necks. And again, if you're wearing one today, I'm not shaming you, right? But sometimes some people, I only know that they even acknowledge the presence of a God is when they pick it up, they kiss it, and they put it down. Every other action, everything else they do does not match up to that. Um, The biggest faith statement that sometimes the only thing we can find is a bumper sticker on our car. Scripture becomes just content for our Instagram bios or dating apps or whatever it may be. And becomes feel-good inspiration when I'm confronted with my weaknesses. And this is what we'll do. It's like, oh, I feel down and out and I'm weak and I don't think I can handle this. I'm going to go to Scripture. What, is, what does Jesus tell me? Oh, I feel better now. Okay, hold up, Jesus. I'm going to go take care of this now. Oh, now I have weaknesses again? I'm going to come back to the Bible and it's going to build me up. Then I'm going to do my own thing again, right? Just this vicious cycle where it's only just become inspiration. Now, before you run out here and tear the bumper stickers off your car or anything like that, you don't have to do that because nothing is necessarily wrong with any of that. None of those things in itself is a bad thing because those are uh, ways of expressing ourselves of something that's on the inside. But however, if that's all Jesus is and his church is to us, it's a problem. That is a big, big problem. What we're doing is reverse engineering the other's first gospel that Jesus initiated with us, what the apostles, the groundwork they laid for us. It is about others, not ourselves. It's what can we do to prop others up? And it's not just congregations because you're thinking, well, man, I guess it's just all, we're the problem. No, church leadership is also the problem. They're the ones that are leading people into this most of the time. Church leadership has been slowly over 
generations and, and centuries of flipping the, the pyramid, making it a, a, something that serves them rather than serving the people. It's more about serving and celebrating these celebrity leaders as if you can only be effective in the ministry is if you have a skill, talent, or charisma. That, that only if you have those things, you can lead people to Christ, which is further from the truth of anything that I could say right now. And when a leader can consistently and blatantly cut corners in their character and we still prop them up, that is a problem. Big, big problem. That's when everything can and will most likely break. And it's not pretty. That's why we're seeing all these documentaries and posts and news. I'm sure it was happening before, but News gets around the world really fast now, right? And so then you hear about these things, and it's kind of like, how, why, right? Why would they ever do that? I am sure when they started, that probably wasn't their intention. When they got kicked off and, got, and, and God was supporting their, their ministry, that was never their intention. But we get put on a pedestal to the point, a tall and flimsy pedestal, a very tall and skinny pyramid, and we're shocked when we fall off. Because we're all human. We all make mistakes. We all sin. And to elevate a human being to a point where like they can do no wrong, you are setting yourself for a world of hurt. World. Because they will fail you. It becomes less about the leaders being the foundation and more about the leaders being the crown jewel of the pyramid. And that's not what God created. And Scripture even addresses this. In James 1, 26 through 27, I wanted to read this out of the message version because I love the way it put it. It says, anyone who sets himself up as religious, and you can say in this time when this was written, if somebody said, I'm religious, and that's how you had to say it, I'm religious, right? They, you're, you're essentially saying, I can align myself with what God says. And so because of that, I'm religious, and I'm able to tell you how to be religious. This was a leadership position of power in their time, all right? So just think about that as we're going through this. So anyone who sets himself up as religious by talking a good game is self-deceived. This kind of religion is hot air and only hot air. Real religion, the kind that passes muster before God the Father, is this. Reach out to the homeless and loveless in their plight and guard against corruption from the godless world. Now, if I took that definition, does that look like the church today? I would have to say no. Somehow, some point, as humans do, I always say the church is the greatest, one of the greatest gifts that Jesus has ever given us, but humans screw it up all the time. They mess it up because we're selfish, we're prideful, we're flawed. And when it comes to church and church leadership, my dream, and this might sound a little weird, okay, um, I'm really excited when this happens. Like when I hear, when people come and tell me these things, I like, I just, I don't run, but I want to run. Like I just get excited, I get pumped, I'll, I'll squeal, I mean, I'll, I will act like a little kid again because it's so exciting to me. And this is one of the reasons that motivates me to even be in ministry and do what I do. But if someone comes up to me and says, hey, this person that either loosely connected to Village Heights or laterally connected to Village Heights or his family or whatever it may be, they come and say, hey, I was able to lead them to Christ. They gave their life. 
that I didn't have to be a part of it. And that sounds weird. I understand that. But because I am not the only one that can lead people to Jesus. I know this is my job and this is my calling, but it is every believer's calling to lead people to Jesus. Just because I can stand up here and talk and not, I mean, I do fumble over my words sometimes or say stupid stuff, but just completely embarrass myself, it doesn't mean that I'm just better or anything like that. It just means that this is what God called me to do and he's equipped me for it. I wasn't always good at this. I'm not even that great now. But I, 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 I was at a point where I would stutter through trying to tell a whole classroom how to make a PB&J because it just wasn't, but God changed me. He made me into what I am today to do what I am doing right now. But that does not mean that I am the chief authority in leading people to Christ. But when people do that, when, they, when I hear this, what that tells me is that outside of my capacity, there are people being led to Christ because my capacity is limiting. I can only have so many minutes in a day, only talk to so many people, only have so many words that make me sound smart, and I run out of them, and I use them every day, okay? There's only so much that I have. And if the soul-winning ability is outside of my abilities, that means we are growing. That means the foundation of the pyramid is growing. And if you want a strong pyramid, you want a strong foundation, you got to go out before you can go up. That means that people who are veterans in the faith, believers who have sacrificed, right? They are not starting at the top and saying, look at me, come over here and join. No, they're at the bottom lifting other believers up, trying to get them closer to God. That is the design. That is a foundation that is unshakable because it's built on the only thing that is eternal, Jesus. And that is what he's called us to do. So if the definition of success if this is the definition of success, it might change the way that you view church. And I've gone to a ton of conferences. I go to pastors' meetings. We meet. Y'all, y'all don't know that, but during the week in your office, we meet and we talk and we do things. We complain, you know, all, you know, all these stuff. We pour salt in each other's wounds or we try to mend each other. You know, that's just how, it, that's what we do. Uh, competition is real everywhere, okay? And so what happens is, is we come together and unfortunately, church success ha- has been become one of these things. It's, it's a seamless, entertaining experience, exciting, and pumped for the next weekend. I've been to so many things, and that's the definition of success. And that's not a bad thing, but if that is all it's about, is the weekend hyper experience, we're missing it. We're missing it. Because essentially what happens as believers is we become junkies, we go from weekend to weekend in these heightened spiritual situations, right? These heightened music and lights, and, and it's really exciting. And I, I enjoy that stuff as well. But if that's all you have, there's no room for growth because all you're doing is just buying time till you get back to that experience again. You end up going from high to high to high. There's no room for life change in that. There's no way to track life change. And that's what the gospel is. It's how can we get closer? How can we change? How can we, you know, uh, iron sharpens iron. How can we make ourselves more into Christ to follow, to be as close as we we can be to him? Because discipleship is the key, right? That's the sanctification. That's the process that we go to to get closer to Christ. But if we're all about just this heightened hyper experience, there's no room for that. 
Because there's nothing during the week that competes with it. There's no way. You're not going to get the lights and smoke and lasers in your bedroom, in your house. Those, these simulated experiences. Again, I'm not saying that people can't find God in those experiences. I, I've, I've had many great moments with God in those types of experiences. But if that's all it is, that's a problem. If the hyper experience is not the goal, then what is? All right, and so I can't, I can't define this for every other church. I, I'm not putting leadership over uh, any other churches. And God, I hope, never does that to me because it is a hot mess express that I never want to get on, okay? Trying to iron all of that out and why they're all split and who's mad at who and whatever, you know, that, all that kind of stuff, right? But all I can do is define it for here. What I feel God has called the vision for Village Heights. So I'm going to go through five things that if you want to help build this pyramid, this is what's going to look like. And if you don't like this, maybe find a new place to worship. That sounds crazy for a church planner to say. I know that. But that's the truth. Because we have actually had people in our life tell us weird things like they've come to church and like, you do too much for the community. I'm like, what? How can we do too much? I don't, where did you get that in scripture? I don't understand where you're coming from. And they'll leave. And they'll, and I, but I would rather them leave for the reason that they know that they're leaving for rather than we didn't have enough smoke machines or the right kind of band or not, right kind of, you know, that kind of thing. I'd rather them know. Okay, so here's the five things. Enough of me ranting. Okay. All right. Number one, anything short of sin to reach people without Christ. That is a scary statement for some people. And they're like, what? That sounds risky, right? No, what we're saying is we don't think that it has to be a certain way. There are many avenues and ways that people meet Christ through family, through church, through uh, some mission trip abroad or whatever it may be. There's many ways for people to meet Christ. And we're not thinking the only way for you to do is to come through those doors and sit in these seats. And so that means at Village Heights, we might not do things that might hurt us, that not make us look as polished in order to help people find Christ. We will do anything short of sin because I don't want to give up my opportunity in heaven. I've got a lot of questions for God, a lot. Right? There's a lot of weird things that happen in this world, and I, and I have a list of questions that I'm going to be asking God okay, when I get up there, and I don't want to miss that chance. So I'm not going to sin to make the, I'm not going to break on what God has called me to be in refining myself, right? So here's the scriptures to back that up. In 1 Corinthians 9, 19, it says, Though I am free and belong to no one, I made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. Now, the slave word, not a big fan of it you know, whatever, uh, it's just in our culture and what we do. But what I'm saying, what he's trying to say here is like he has lowered himself purposefully to not think that he's better or higher than anybody else, to serve others in such a way that it will turn their head and goes, why are you loving me so well? Why are you loving me so well? So that's the first one. The second one, 1 Corinthians 9.22, a couple of verses uh, continuing on, and it says, I have become all things to all men, so that all possible means I might save some. All right, let me define what this means, okay? Because you could look at that and you'll go, oh, it's okay to be anything. I know that's the thing that, that is today, but it's not the case, okay? It's not, it's not what Scripture is saying. This is saying that if you want to go save people in the karate world, you got to learn some karate because you have no common ground with them. Or if you want to save a chef, and you have no culinary experience or don't even know how to carry on a car, go learn some chef stuff, okay? Go learn how to cook, you know, have something to talk about. If you want to go save a baseball team, you got to know something about baseball. 
You got, you got to know. So it's meaning emulate what they are. I can't take my Houstonness that I am and go to Wisconsin or New York or California and try to save people. I got to know something about Wisconsin or New York or California. I can't just show up and say, do it my way. I got to be able to communicate and go, oh yeah, I know the traffic is terrible on 635 or whatever the street is. You know, I got to have some common ground because why would they listen to me, right? This is what this scripture is saying. So if you have some in your life, somebody or something at work, or you're like, man, I really want to lead them to Christ, but I don't even know how to talk. Just talk about the things they want to talk about. Learn. Serve them in that way. So that's the first one. Anything short of sin to reach people without Christ. Number two, accomplish more with less. I understand it's confusing, but it will make sense because it's God's, this is God's equation, his economy, right? And so in Matthew 25, 23, it says, you have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. What Jesus is basically telling us is that if I have already given you the gifts, I've given you the abilities to be effective in where you are, right? To have, to just start the conversation, use those things. And as I see that you use those things well and you're committed to the kingdom, you are a great investment. I'm going to give you more to continue to grow, to grow what we're doing, what we're doing in the church, building the pyramid, all of these things, right? So he's saying if you do it with just a few things, it's an equation that does not make sense to us, and we get insecure about this, but the truth is in our weaknesses, he will shine. That if we don't have all it is to finish, he will fill in the gaps. He said, just start. Be willing, right? So we will accomplish more with less. Okay, number three, we will accomplish more together than alone. Acts 4, uh, 34 through 35 says, There was no needy person among them. For, for from time to time, those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put them at the, feet of, at the apostles' feet. And if it was, and it was distributed to anyone as uh, he had need, meaning that if we choose to do this together, this is one of the beautiful things about action groups and why we love action groups because there's never been, and we've done like eight or nine, I don't know how many done we've done a lot, okay, um, but there's never been an action group that we've been like, oh, we can easily achieve that. We have the skills and abilities, and we're practically a construction company. No. We've had people go, are you in Christian? Like, no. Will you be? No, we're not going to be that. We are a church, and we're here to serve people, okay? But we have not always had. I, I, we just pretty much are wrapping up our final action group for, for I mean, our, the final day of our action group. And we had no funds for it. We had no uh, flooring. We, had no, we didn't have any of that. There wasn't like we have a warehouse full of stuff ready with people just to mobilize them. We had none of it. We basically stepped out with what we had and said, Lord, we feel like this is what you're calling us to do. So we're going to pursue it, and we know that you're going to fill in the gaps. And he did. He did. Every, and he's done it every time because we are willing to come together. And so when we come together and we are willing to be that foundation, as we do this, that means that we put new believers on our shoulders, getting them closer to God. Not that we stand on their shoulders to look for us to feel like God. No, we put them on our shoulders to get them closer to God. That is the math. That is what we do, all right? So that's number three. Number four 
Every initiation is an opportunity for an invitation. Every initiation is an opportunity for an invitation. In Mark 16, 15, it says, Jesus said to them, Go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. All the world to all creation. Right? So he's saying nobody, nobody is off limits when it comes to talking to them about Christ. And that we will use our opportunities because it's not separate. It's not, oh, that's just a church thing or that's just a home thing, right? No, it's everything. God owns all of this. And you're like, well, but it is separate and it's a different thing. Like, well, do you own this world? Are you able to stop it from moving? Are you able to stop the sun or change the weather? Not taking, I'm not talking about taking a fire hose and, and shooting water in there and making it rain. I'm not, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about can you actually manipulate long-term anything that's happening in this universe? The truth is no, because this is not your kingdom. It's not your kingdom. It's his kingdom that he has allowed us to live in. And we get the opportunity to not only live in it and enjoy it, but we get to build his kingdom. So that means... Now, I'm not saying when you first meet someone, you go, uh, have you, th- oh, am I, uh, you're, you're Greg, I'm Bill. Do you know your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? Don't run from the Lord, you know, that kind of stuff. I'm not talking about that. No, no, no. I'm meaning that when you meet somebody, you start praying, going, Lord, is there an opportunity for me to minister to them? Is there a way that if they don't know Christ, that I could be the one that ushers that in or be the example that they need or be the seed that they need so that somebody else down the line that you've called to, to lead them to you that they can do that. Every initiation is an opportunity for an invitation to see Jesus, to meet Jesus. That's number four. And number five, we will make a difference. We will make a difference. That's a, the total, like, it's not a, I hope we make a difference. It's not a, man, I, it'd be great if we made a difference. No, we will make a difference, a definitive statement, because in Ephesians 3, 20 through 21, it says, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Jesus Christ throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. When you have the God of the universe in your corner, coaching you, giving you the resources, supplying, being there for you, there really is nothing as far as his kingdom that can't be done. Because when he's behind us and we are for his kingdom, he will make up the difference. And that we say that not because we're confident in what we can do, we're confident in what Jesus can do, what God can do in the midst of our weaknesses and our failures and our shortcomings, because he is immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine. We can't even fathom the amount of love that he has for us and his ability to love us well. And so we have this calling on us that when we say we will make a difference, it's not because of Bill. I'm limited. It's not because of Hannah, although she's very great, but she's limited but Jesus is not. And this is a weird statement to hear, but I know you felt the pressure to come here tomorrow. You're like, man, I need to go to church. I need to go worship with God's people. God wants you to be here. Jesus wants you to be here more than you want to be here. 
And, and as we tried, we started this church and we're planning and we're, it's a difficult area to start a church and we've been going down that path, I have to remind myself constantly, God wants this church to happen more than I want this church to happen. Meaning that if it's not me, I fail, I, I decide to bow out, he's going to send somebody else. He is going to see his glory done because this is his kingdom. And the beauty of it, his glory, although it's for him, it benefits us. It's all in love of us, this church that he's asked us to build. So when we say we will make a difference, we will because it's in his name. All right, so and I'll close with this. When it comes to the pyramid, when it comes to building and becoming the foundation, getting new believers on your shoulders and try to get them closer to God as possible, right? Because when we do that, it's a beautiful thing that when new believers come, because it's hard. I don't know if you remember the first time you were saved, if you've been saved, but it's, it's hard to get on board, right? And there's the, the hardest thing to get on board with is that Jesus was fully God, fully man, died and rose again, because I don't know anybody else since Jesus that has done that. If they can, if they can walk on water and die and rise again in three days, listen to what they're saying. I, I mean, there's something, there's something going on there, right? Um, but it hasn't happened. And so for new believers, that alone is hard to get on board, not much less the other things that we need to do as Christ followers, as we define our insecurities. And so what we do, we become their foundation that when they want to give up, when they like, I just can't, we go, it's okay. We got you. It's all right. We're going to lift you up. You don't have to have all the answers right now. You don't have to have it all figured out. Just keep going the path as we lift you up. We build the pyramid to get you closer to God. That is the hope. That is the dream. So will you take your place in the pyramid with us to lead people to become fully devoted followers in Christ. If you need to go home, write that sentence and put a box and a box and yes and no, you do that, right? But if you check no, ask yourself why. If you've been given the gift and you know it's a gift of salvation, why is that a no? Why wouldn't you be doing everything that you can or trying to harvest every opportunity and join with others to give others the gift. Ask yourself why. But if you say yes, which would be great, yes is not just an indicator of your intention because intentions are awesome, but action is when it really reveals itself. Because I can tell you yes all day. I can make you feel good about yourself. I can give you, make you think that you can trust me, all this stuff. But until my actions follow up with my words, it might as well be a no because it's just the same. So it's less about how well you can articulate it, and it's more about the action of sacrifice and building in Jesus' church. And if you want to do that at Village Heights, I encourage you to do so. We would love to have you a part of our pyramid and what we're doing here. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much that we get to be part of this journey. Lord, you, you, you sent this world spinning, and you created us, and you gave us life, and Lord, it's been amazing. I'm glad that I'm living, and I've been able to experience life in the way that I have, but Lord, I don't want to take it for granted that this is my kingdom. This is your kingdom, Lord, and I get the grand opportunity not just to affect things in my life, but things that affect eternity, to affect people's lives in an eternal way, Lord. That is a price that I could never understand or truly fathom. 
So Lord, help us to see that. Help us to not continue to reverse engineer what you've created and design people how to operate together, but Lord, to use it for your kingdom as it's meant to be, to build a strong foundation here in the Heights, at Village Heights, at this church, so Lord, so that many people can come, hear about you, and stand on our shoulders as we lift them up to you. So Lord, help us to be that. Give us the courage. Use us in spite of us, in spite of our weaknesses and our shortcomings. Lord, because we choose, we will make a difference because we know that you're behind it. Lord, bless Village Heights as we go. Bless the design and bless Easter as it's coming, as our efforts to tell more people about you. In Jesus' powerful name I pray, amen.